Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Well, hi there again. This is the last week in our February series called Conspiracies That Seek to Kill the Church and the Truth That Sets Her Free. Over this last month, I've been addressing some quite big topics that hopefully help us think about how we live out our faith in today's world. In week one, I talked about the conspiracy that said faith is personal and I don't have time to be involved in the church. I kind of countered that by saying the Bible is very clear in saying that faith is actually public and being involved with others is how Jesus intended it to be for so many reasons. In week two, the conspiracy that we looked at was you have to tithe 10% to be blessed. Kind of said you don't. You're already blessed. But generosity is a natural response to those of us who follow Jesus. Last week, I looked at the conspiracy that said that the pastor is the key to the success of the church. Well, in and of itself, we aren't. We're just one person among many who bring our gifts and abilities to the table. Together, we're better always. That's what the Bible says. That's what we try to live out. And today I want to speak into the fourth and last conspiracy theory that says doing good things gets us a good place in heaven. Expanding on that is the idea that says, surely if we do good things, God will look favorably on us. If we're honest, a lot of us think that or have thought that at some point in our lives. Of course, there is nothing wrong with doing good things. Plenty of people do good things all the time. People of faith, people of no faith. If we were to look at the statistics of vol- volunteerism in New Zealand, it's staggering the amount of people who do really good things. But doing good things in and of themselves aren't part of the biblical narrative of God's people. Because like every other conspiracy theory that we've talked about over the last three weeks, according to the Bible, followers of Jesus have a very different motive for working out our faith than those who aren't followers of Jesus. The motive of working out our faith is to bring glory to God through our lives and in some way seek to communicate to people that Christ shows us a worldview that has a transforming aspect to it. Now, let me be honest. I passed through a church, many of you know that, that believes in serving. We ask you to serve. We need you to serve. Very little would happen without hundreds of you serving in so many different ways. But let me be clear. I only want you to serve the church if you believe in the mission of the church out of response to what Christ has done for us. I don't want anyone to serve out of guilt or compulsion or because someone has tried to tell you that serving is a way to please God. It's like when I talked about giving just a few weeks ago. The motivation is one of worship and freedom rather than trying to earn some privilege or favor from God. Or possibly the most pertinent scripture that raises this topic of working out our faith through serving is found in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. It's the well-known faith and deeds passage. It says this, 
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. A little bit later it says, when it talks about Isaac and, and Abraham, you see, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. James goes on, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, this is such an important and profound passage that connects our faith and the working out of our faith together. This is why we have a vision statement across Windsor Park that says our big dream is to build stronger communities by putting our faith into action. Having faith demands a response. It's not even optional. James is saying if you have faith in Jesus, you will just naturally want to serve Him. And of course, there are so many ways to do that. To illustrate what I believe the truth is that confronts the conspiracy theory that good deeds alone you know, get us into heaven, I want us to listen to a testimony. I would like to show you a video of the testimony, but it wasn't filmed, so I can't. But you can follow along. It's actually in your Bible, and you'll find it in the book of Galatians. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 24. Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was it taught. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Now, most of you will know that the letter was was written by Paul 
and we need some context on him. Well, here are some. Paul was a, a fairly typical person for his time, born into a religiously observant Jewish family in Tarsus. He had a fairly proud heritage, descended from the tribe of Benjamin, given the name Saul, which was the name of the most illustrious member of that tribe in history. Saul, the first king of Israel. Paul was registered also as a Roman citizen, a rare privilege for people of his descent, probably gained through his father or grandfather serving in a military arm under maybe Pompey or Antony. Paul's family was one of a moderate degree of wealth. The family owned property and in order to be a citizen of Tarsus and own property meant a relatively high level of wealth derived from the family business of tent making or more widely interpreted as leather making. He was well educated in the areas of philosophy and literature and by his own admission, well educated in Judaism. I guess in summary, we could perhaps class Paul as part of the, the privileged, a very small section of society. And most significantly though, Paul was no angel as far as the church goes. The Bible shows that he was an active persecutor of the church. Such was his zeal for the law and the traditions of Israel that he assaulted the infant church with utmost violence in his attempt to destroy it. We see this in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, where it says, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. A nasty character. But things changed dramatically for Paul when he turned to Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Goes on, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And life changed dramatically for Paul after that encounter. His testimony that I read earlier becomes an, an incredible story. It's dramatic and it's a, a massive transformation in his life. Paul's comments in the letter to the church in Galatia are crucial in our understanding of why we might want to be involved in serving the kingdom of God through the local church like Paul. His transformation shows us a pattern that could be useful to us to see. Firstly, Paul recognized that God had set him apart from the beginning. He says in his testimony in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb... Now, as a Jew, Paul would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. And there are a whole bunch of Psalms that speak into that. Psalm 22, verse 9. Yet you brought me out of, out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my, at my mother's breast. Or Psalm 71, 6. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. Or Psalm 139, 39. I don't need to say that one. You know it so well. But the difference comes in his next statement where he says, and I was called by his grace. 
And here Paul acknowledges the difference between grace and works. God had a plan for him that was revealed by the grace of Jesus. He didn't have to do anything that hadn't already been done for him. So Paul recognised that he had in fact been set apart from the beginning. And secondly, Paul recognised that he was a new creation. He talks about this in a past tense in verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And then later in verse 16, he writes, But God revealed His Son to me. And rather than persecuting the church, He changes direction completely. And He starts to promote what the church stands for. You know, I really resonate with Paul. He declares that his transformation was one of revelation And in that place, you can hear that he discovered his significance and he wanted to be involved in the significant work of Christ. There have been so many times where, like Paul, you know, I've had to work on my significance, finding my significance in Christ, that I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This has been such a focus in my life and I know it's a focus for so many people. And out of that, wanting to be involved in in the kingdom of God comes so naturally. If we believe that the old is gone and the new has come, then we will be committed to to working on our relationship with Christ. It's kind of like for those of us who are married, it takes work. It takes effort to make a good marriage last. Or what about those of us that are in careers? A career is about constant upskilling, constant training. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. It means serving Christ. It means outworking that in ways all through our life. I love what James also writes in James 1.4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So Paul recognised that he'd been set apart, that he was a new creation, that Christ was at work in his life. Or thirdly, Paul's recognition of who Christ was and of who he was resulted in an outward action. After learning all of these things, Paul knew that the natural expression of being a new creation came with a call to be involved in the mission of the church that was just born at that time. In other words, flowing out of what he knew to be true and what he had personally experienced, he willingly and gladly was involved in God's mission, using all the gifts and abilities that were blessed into his life, preaching for him and apostolic ministry. Recognizing that God had set him apart from the beginning, knowing that he was a new creation, knowing who Christ is and who he was resulted in an inward desire to serve Christ, to see Christ's purposes come to pass in our world. You know, the conspiracy theory says that we need to serve to to get a place in heaven. The truth that sets us free is that understanding who we are in Christ produces an abundance of significance in our lives that flows out into a desire to see the gospel message proclaimed through our lives. Serving becomes not a means to an end, but the beginning of a desire to see others transformed by the renewing of their lives. If you've had a life-transforming experience with Christ, it doesn't have to be on on, on the road of Damascus, but some other way, then being involved in the mission of a local congregation, it's not a chore. It's something that we take delight in. It's just like acknowledging that, you know, faith is not personal. 
it's something that's public. It's about acknowledging that, that giving is something that develops out of a heart of generosity. It's acknowledging that we're in this together. A practical living out of what we call Christianity should mark a major change in the way that we view and live our lives. My prayer over these four weeks is that we would live out our faith publicly, that we would want to be involved in the lives of others, to both add to them from what we've learnt about God and to receive from them what they have learnt. My prayer is that our response to Jesus would result in in hearts being generous, willful, cheerful as it relates to our finances. My hope is that we would work together to see the fruit of our lives making tangible differences in the lives of those around us through a living and active faith that works itself out into faithful service for the kingdom of heaven. You know, the scriptures give us so much truth and so much life as a local community of faith. I pray that as we head into March 2022 and all that this year will bring us, that we will continue to be inspired by the Spirit of God at work within us, by a deepening of our relationships between us, by a coming together in love and grace and a desire to see the kingdom of God spread in our community and to all the different places that we serve and are involved. And I hope that the spirit of all truth will continue to speak into our hearts for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, this month we have covered some big topics, really, and we are challenged by them. We are challenged because we often live our lives in individualistic ways. We don't want to involve ourselves with others because sometimes relationships get messy. We can be selfish. And we sometimes serve with wrong motivations. I pray that you would help us to worship you through the way that we live. That we might reflect upon our encounters with you all through our life. And that we would open up our hearts to continue the process of being changed, being softened, being matured, so that the older we get, the more open we are to serving you and honouring you and desiring to see your kingdom come in this world. So Father, continue to speak to us, not just this month, but every day of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we finish today, I want us to reflect upon some questions. The questions will come up on the screen and I'm going to allow you just a little bit of time to hear what God might be saying to you in your hearts. Let's take a few minutes to be personal and to be open and to think about what our next steps might be in our spiritual journey this week and this year. Let's take a few moments as we reflect upon these questions. How do you let God speak to you? And what space might you need to allow in your life to listen to Him more this year?
Conspiracy theories arise and we don't spend time growing our faith. What spiritual practices might you need to adopt this year? Maybe it's hearing the Word of God more, learning to pray more, learning to be still, or receiving some spiritual direction. Could it be something else? What is God saying to you? The conspiracy theories we've been talking about all seek to stifle the effectiveness of the local church. What commitment do you need to make this year that will help you continue to want to be involved in the local church, which is Jesus's plan for the world? In what way will you allow yourself to be vulnerable before others this year so that you can both learn from them and contribute to a small group of others? Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.